Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat episode, we're going to focus on human creativity in its many forms and some ways of bringing that to life in a corporate setting. My illustrious, super famous, awesome, amazing guest today is five-time tech entrepreneur, New York Times best-selling author, America's top innovation keynote speaker, and a world-renowned creativity expert, Josh Linkner. Since 2007, Josh has delivered more than 1,000 keynotes, mostly on how to stimulate more creativity in organizations that will produce meaningful results, such as better better problem solving to overcome obstacles. Josh recently released his latest book, Big Little Breakthroughs, How Small Everyday Innovations Drive Oversized Results. Josh's desire in writing Big Little Breakthroughs is to help everyday people become everyday innovators. I love this. I'm so excited for today's interview. Josh has spent over 1,000 hours of research finding real-world stories of everyday innovators in all walks of life. And in his book, Josh builds a specific and practical system that helps develop our creativity muscles. Josh, I can't tell you what an honor it is to have you on the show today. Oh, Bill, I'm blushing. Are you kidding? It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan. Thank you. So let's jump straight into it. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll probably be aware, listeners will probably be aware that uh, we are a Canada-based podcast, although we have a big audience in the US as well as Canada. Um, But I'm going to start with the great one, Wayne Gretzky, the great one, as they call him up up north. Uh, He once famously said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Now, you've suggested that fear, not a lack of natural talent, is the biggest blocker of creativity. How does fear hold us back, Josh? Well, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the research is crystal clear that all human beings have deep reservoirs of creative capacity. In fact, we are sort of hardwired to be creative. That's our natural state. And we think of creativity perhaps in a limiting way. You don't have to play an instrument or be able to paint to be creative. We can be creative in our businesses. We can be creative um, in the sales process. We can be creative really in any act and uh, anything that we care about in our lives. And so fear, not natural talent, you're exactly right, is the biggest blocker of creative output. And for leaders, when we're able to create a safe environment where the fear is is gone, then people can get back to their natural state of being creative. I often say that fear and creativity cannot coexist. So if we want to spur inventive thinking and creative problem solving, uh, two critically important aspects of business growth, especially in these complex times, um, the, the fastest way to get there is to create a safe, fear-based, a fear-free environment. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Now then, uh, I've got a quote from you here. Uh, Brainstorming is a great exercise to yield mediocre ideas. Role storming is a simple technique that completely removes the fear. Can you you tell our listeners about the concept of role storming and ways that character acting approach that you take here uh, can bring innovation to organizations? Yeah. So in the book, I really tried to demystify the creative process. It's not only some of us are born that way and the rest of us have to suffer. It's how do you cultivate these skills? How do you build your creativity muscles? And so I carefully examined the mindsets, 
habits and tactics of the most innovative people in the world. I interviewed CEOs and billionaires and celebrity entrepreneurs and Grammy award-winning musicians and lots of normal people doing really creative things. And one of the biggest problems that we have is the tactic that we primarily used, we use brainstorming, is terribly flawed. Brainstorming is bad because it gen- we're responsible for any idea that we share. So in other words, let's say I had a crazy idea. I'm reluctant to share it because I might look foolish. I might get in trouble for my idea. Maybe I'll be responsible for it and it doesn't work out. So what we tend to do is share our safe ideas, hold our big ideas back. Role storming, R-O-L-E, completely removes the fear. And here's how it works. Bill, let's say you and I were, were doing a normal uh, brainstorm, but instead we decided to role storm. So here's the way it works. You're taking on an actual real world challenge. Maybe it's how do we drive revenue in our business? How do we recruit better people? How do we boost our retention rates? Whatever. And then, but instead of you being Bill and me being Josh, you might play the role, for example, of Steve Jobs. So it role storming is brainstorming in character. You're pretending that you're somebody else. Because here's the thing. No one's going to laugh at Steve for coming up with a big idea. They might laugh at Steve for coming up with a small idea. So in this example, you, now Steve Jobs, can say anything you want, and there's no fear whatsoever. The way the technique works is that every person in the room gets to choose their own character. You could be a supermodel. You could be a sports figure. You could be a literary figure or a four-year-old child or or an alien from the future. And the, the, the key is you want to stay in character as you're trying to solve the problem. And it really gives you a totally different mindset while removing the scary part of brainstorming. This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at fidelo.com. That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O.com. I think I'd want to be Josh Linkner because he's got all the cool answers. Um, but also, an alien from the future sounds pretty cool. Um, I'll, I'll bear that one in mind. <laughs> well, real quickly, you know, it's very, <laughs> no, very funny to say that. But um, I did this one time real quickly with, with a group of executives at Sony Japan. I met this guy. He was the stiffest human being I've ever met. This guy's in a dark suit and a white shirt and his tie is like strangling him. Anyway, we got him role storming as Yoda. You know, Yoda from Star Wars. I've never seen personal transformation like this. This guy's jacket's off, his tie's undone, he's leaping around the room, and the whiteboards were filled with ideas. And crucially, I didn't teach him to be creative. He had that inside, as do all of us. But historically, the role he was in forbid it. And when we put him in a new role, he was able to express his creativity freely. The whiteboard full of ideas it is. Okay, right. Let's uh, let, let's continue through here. How can how can leaders encourage their employees to be creative, Josh? What what's involved in creating a culture of innovation? The best suggestion that I have is create rituals and rewards that support the activities that you want. So I'll give you a couple of quick examples. One of the people that I interviewed in the book is is a fellow countryman of yours named Trowin Resterick from the UK. And Trowin has a very cool company and a very creative story. And I was asking him, how do you keep your team really focused on being creative and and having the courage to do so? And he he, he installed a ritual, which he calls F Up Fridays. Well, he says the whole word, I'll just be polite here today, but 
The, the, the notion is on F up Fridays, he brings his entire company together for a brown bag lunch uh, session. And one by one, each person has to stand up and proudly share what they effed up that week and what they learned from it. And inevitably, they get to somebody who didn't F something up that week. And, and Trevin says, well, why not? Like, what are you going to do next week? And so just think about the, the underlying message that this simple ritual creates. It tells people that uh, taking responsible risks is part of your job, that it's expected that everybody in, in our business is an innovator and that we have your back in, in, in failure as much as success. So again, a simple ritual that in, that, in this case drives the desired outcome. One other quick example, one, one company that, that I worked with wanted folks to submit any ideas they could think of, the more the better. But they at the same time didn't want people to be discouraged when an idea wasn't embraced because just, you know, physically they couldn't embrace every idea and perhaps every idea wasn't the best ever. So so to reward and, and encourage this behavior, they created a simple ritual. In their corporate headquarters, and this is a large company with thousands of people, there's a big, very visible hallway. They put four feet tall glass jars and anytime an idea comes in globally from the company, they put a white marble in the jar. Anytime an idea is embraced that they're able to pursue an idea, they put a red marble in the jar and they save the jars over the years. So as you walk down this hallway, it's a, it, the entire wall look, looks like a sea of white with little teeny red specks. And so what this does, Bill, it's a visual cue. So as people walk by, they say, yeah, it takes a lot of white marbles to get to a red one and I better keep the ideas coming. And it's okay that not every idea is going to be embraced. And so again, in this case, that simple ritual, the, the, the visual cue system helps reinforce the desired output of creative activity. I love that. I, I, I love that. That's, that is such a great visual. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Now then, um, you suggest that when people are, kicking around new ideas uh, that, that quote from you there that they shouldn't actually call them ideas because an idea itself in theory is ready for for scrutiny instead you explain we, we should first think of them as a spark josh what what's the difference and, and why does it matter in the context of moving the, the need within an organization the issue that we have is that is is premature idea extinguishing and, and you've seen this, you know, one person in a, in a meeting has an idea and the other people in the meeting become the idea police. And they tell you all the reasons they had, that idea is terrible and it will never work. And the boss is going to hate it. And we tried that before in 1987. And, and they, 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 they quickly jump and pounce on this idea and, and beat it to death. And what we need to think of instead of an idea that is, you know, it's not like when you say an idea, it's, it's bulletproof. It's the beginning. It's not final work product. And so to avoid that, I don't like using the term. I prefer sparking because when you think about, hey, let's just spark a little bit together. And I say, you know, here's a spark. You're not going to judge it with such, you know, intense scrutiny. It's, it's, you're not going to, it's not ready for prime time. It's the beginning because often it's not the, the, the beginning thought that is the killer. It's the, it's the spark that leads to the next spark that leads to the next spark that that's the one you're looking for. And if you extinguish it too quickly, you lose out completely. So I think that what we should do is, again, really think of the creative process is we're not, it's not ready for judgment upon launch. The ideation process has to be free of judgment, in fact, and allow us to sort of riff off of one another and build on those sparks and let them form into an idea that really does, at that point, merit scrutiny. You suggest that everyone has 
dormant creative capacity and, and i like that example you used earlier with the with the japanese exec there who turned into yoda after being perhaps a dull person who perhaps didn't suggest to you that he had much creativity um what, what can leaders and hr teams do to better identify and encourage a willingness in certain employees you know those ones who maybe are dragging their heels to to share their ideas well, the funny thing, you know, often I'll be at an organization and they say, oh, yeah, the creatives, they sit up on the second floor. And that always breaks my heart a bit because I, I really, the creatives should sit in every chair. And, and we don't have to assign a job title as a creative title for someone to be creative. For example, we think that people who wear lab coats are creative or CEOs are creative or marketing people are creative, but legal and finance people or operations people are not creative. And boy, is that not true. In fact, we are all creative. And so I think that a primary role of a leader today in these complex and challenging times is to nurture the creativity of all team members. If you have 100 people, you should have 100 innovators. If you have 100,000 people in your company, you should have 100,000 innovators. Why relegate it only to a select few? And so I think what we can do is if someone is being a little shy, it's not because they lack the inherent capacity. It's not The answer isn't, oh, I better go hire somebody more creative. In fact, it's the opposite. We, we must look in the mirror as leaders and say, what are we doing to either nurture or suppress that individual's creativity? For example, let's say someone came to you and, and they, they had an idea that wasn't great. Well, instead of you saying to them instinctively, because you're busy, hey, that's a terrible idea. Go back to your cube. Because what you did in that example is you trained the person to never share another idea again. It's not that they lack creativity. It's that you extinguished it. So a better response might be to be non-judgmental. I'm not saying you should lie and say it's a good idea if it's not, but perhaps you might say something like, huh, tell me more about that idea. What was the origin of this concept? Where do you see this heading in the future? Is there something else you could add to it to make it even better? So the thing is now that person goes back to their desk feeling validated and understood and appreciated. And they may come back with four or five bad ideas in a row, but so what? Because their sixth idea might be the one that you've been looking for that drives 30% growth in revenue that would have never come to the surface if you were a different type of leader. So I think what we must do as leaders is not say, darn it, I wish I had more creative people. I think we must say as leaders, hey, we, what, what are we doing today to nurture and extract the creative capacity of our team? The way I look at it, Bill, is that like if, if outside of your home, you had an oil well, you discovered that there was oil underneath your, your backyard and it was worth a billion dollars, you probably wouldn't say, yeah, I'm just going to ignore that. I'll probably, I don't really want the billion dollars. I'll just let it sit there. I, I'm too busy. You, you, you do everything you could to extract it. You, you'd get the best equipment. You'd make it a priority. Well, I would suggest to leaders today that those oil wells are walking around in, in, our, in our team members. Every one of us has that oil well inside of us. And your job as a leader is to bring it to the surface and to deploy it and, and manage it as, as an actual real world asset, because that's exactly what it is. And in fact, it's one of the highest leverage, highest yield assets that we can unlock as leaders to drive better performance. Side note, listeners, uh, the other night I watched uh, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, that character did a very good job in finding the oil wells. An amazing movie. Totally. You should check it out. Um, Josh, you, you've delivered more than 1,000 keynotes, hence why I, uh, I introduced you as this awesome, super famous, wonderful human being earlier on. Uh, most of those have been on how to stimulate more creativity in organizations that will produce meaningful results. I'm, I'm sure HR leaders and employees can get behind the concepts and the practices in, in the moment, but how do you make 
the lessons stick? How can we encourage leaders and HR pros to champion creativity every day? Yeah, that's a terrific question. And you're right. I do really enjoy, by the way, uh, doing keynotes. For me, it's it's a passion. It's not, I do it because I love it, not because I have to. And a keynote can be a very, you know, emotionally charged catalyst to begin a, a journey of creativity. But you're right. It doesn't, uh, one single keynote, as good as it may be, is not is not going to change an organization. So what you want to think about is what is the ongoing rituals? What what is the what's the practice regimen? So I, I started my career as a musician, and let's say I took the best guitar lesson of all time. Well, if I didn't practice every day for the next few weeks, I would quickly forget what I learned. So I think that the the challenge, and I should say opportunity really for leaders and HR leaders specifically is how do you take these principles and not just use it as a catalyst once and say, okay, go be creative, but how do you reinforce that? And I like to think about it as micro learnings. You know, can, can you have a little teeny, like if I practice guitar five minutes a day, over time, I become a pretty good guitar player. And the same is true for, for creatives of, of all shapes and sizes in organizations. So the trick is saying, okay, can I, without taxing my people, can I inject a little micro dose of, of creativity each day? Can I challenge my people to discover one big little breakthrough, as I call them, which is a micro innovation on a regular basis? And so it's that ongoing practice, the ongoing little learnings over time that drive sustainable change rather than just one great keynote, even if it is a fun keynote. I'd be interested to hear from you, Josh. I mean, our listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar, and, and, and I know that you're familiar with, um, I don't know, uh, Briggs Mayers, for example, and, and their different personality types. Are there, are there any personality types that just don't lend themselves to creativity, you know, creative thinking, that they're, they're, they're better placed being process-orientated, or is it is it in everyone? I've met people in my life, and I, I think they'd be a great person at following processes, but I don't know necessarily if they're, you know, an ideas person. Am I missing something here? Well, so Harvard University conducted a study and they asked that exact same question. The age old question, is creativity born or is it developed? Is it nature or nurture? Is it that one out of a thousand of us are born lucky and the rest of us have to suffer? Or is it a learnable skill? And what they found was remarkable. They found that creativity, in fact, is 80% learned behavior. In other words, even on our worst day, you and me have at least the creative potential, 80% of Mozart or, or Da Vinci or Picasso. So the real answer is that no, people are not inherently uncreative. What they are is perhaps afraid. Perhaps they haven't developed those skills. And so I like to say that creativity is very much like your weight, not your height. So for me, I'm a pretty short guy. And try as I may, I'm not going to grow a foot by next month. But my weight, I can control based on my input, uh, my, my nutrition, my, my diet, uh, my exercise reg regimen, et cetera. And creativity is the exact same thing. It's a learnable skill. So I would say when you see somebody that's not exhibiting a lot of creativity, it's not that they don't have it in them. It's that they haven't developed that skill. They haven't learned that language. The other thing I would say is that you know creativity can exist in a lot of ways that is less obvious. You know, the obvious things is someone invents a new product or they, they come up with a brilliant marketing campaign or, or they create a statue. But you can be creative in process engineering. In fact, some of the biggest creative breakthroughs, you look at Henry Ford inventing the assembly line, that was wildly creative, but it was an operational thing to drive efficiency. So we can apply creativity in traditional ways, sure, but also non-traditional ways. You can be creative in the way that you produce uh, equipment in a factory or the way you, you uh, reduce uh, safety hazards on a job site if you're in construction or, or the way that you try a case in front of a jury or the way that if you're a dentist and how you interact with your patients. So I, I believe that there's room for creativity in every role. 
And I also believe that every person is capable of creativity in their own way, obviously, um, if they're willing to develop those skills. Uh, any jurors out there listening to this episode, uh, by all means, be creative, but, you know, do, do it, do it in the, within the rule of law and, and, uh, and, and not to not to the detriment of a person that you're trying. Um, Josh, we're almost out of time here. Before we wrap things up, how can our listeners learn more about you? How can they connect with you? And also, how can they get a copy of Big Little Breakthroughs? Again, I'm so grateful to be with you today and what a wonderful conversation. I would really encourage people to visit biglittlebreakthroughs.com. They certainly can buy the book there, uh, any format, if you want digital, audio. Uh, I actually play guitar on the audio version. I, I, I read, read the book myself, so that's kind of fun. But even if someone doesn't want to buy the book, I would still encourage you to visit biglittlebreakthroughs.com. There's a whole host of free resources. There's a quick creativity assessment that's free. There's a downloadable quick start guide. There's all kinds of techniques. So think about it. It is a toolkit that's waiting for you to help you develop your own creative abilities, to help you build those skills. So yes, I, I, of course, I would appreciate if someone wants to buy the book. But again, even if you don't, check out biglittlebreakthroughs.com and that can hopefully be, you know, get, get you in motion, get, be that first little baby step to, to light your creative fire and help you drive the outcomes that you care about the most. Awesome. Josh, that just leaves me to say that it's been an absolute honor. I was... Um... I had a big smile across my face when when you replied to my LinkedIn request uh, for an interview and you said yes. I was like, wow, Josh is going to come on the show. That was awesome. And you have not disappointed, sir. This was a fantastic conversation. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you again for, for joining me. Likewise. Thank you so much and wishing you continued success and continued creativity. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and get creative. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.